So I, I have to admit, I am, in some, some, in some way, in a strange way, I'm very excited about this new sermon series in, in 1 Corinthians. I've had some opportunity over the summer to uh, get some broad swaths of, of trying to understand what's going on in the church, and I think it's going to be an, an interesting time. First of all, the city of Corinth was a truly great city in ancient Rome, in the Roman world. It's located strategically between two ports, so it was a trade route, a lot of people coming in and out. It was a manufacturing center, so a lot of religious activity that was going on uh, in Corinth. Tourists came, there was theaters, and there were sporting events all the time, and in, in some ways... It's a little bit like Athens. What's a little bit more interesting are when you learn about some of the things this church was struggling with. There were divisions among uh, the people. Certain groups liked certain groups like Matt more than Todd. Certain people liked Todd more than uh, Todd wasn't even in there. But not only that, they had some really at least even in the world's eyes, strange things going on. A, a guy likes his father's wife. And I mean really likes. Just a, a forewarning for those with young children. We're going to get uh, in Corinthians some PG-13 at least rated stuff. Okay. You have other types of sexual immorality going on in the church. You got Christians suing one another. You have misunderstandings about marriage, misunderstandings about being single. They're trying to figure out how are they to serve Christ in the world, and then they have their own worship wars. All these things are going on in Corinth. One scholar said it like this, it's a, a great letter to study in the present day church because any pastor from month to month has to deal with everything that Paul covers in these 16 chapters. And, and I will tell you, he's right, except I, we have not had to deal with the father's wife thing. Let's try to keep it that way. Before we read our passage, I want you to consider this. A year or so ago, I read a book called Destroyer of the Gods, How Early Christian Distinctiveness Changed the World. And uh, the author in it, he describes how and why the early church in the first and second centuries, how they had such a powerful influence on the world. And this is what he said, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said, what made the Christian church flourish in the ancient world in the first and second centuries? It was exactly the same thing that made it hard to be a Christian. I want you to think about that a minute. What made the early church flourish? What, what made it so influential in the first and second centuries? It was the same things that made it hard to be a Christian. For instance, they, they, they just come to know. 
that they had a personal God who loved them, who set them apart for a specific purpose. And it was really great. It was exciting. But you know what happened? It made them different from their old family, friends, and neighbors. See, it created tension in their lives and in their own hearts. It also brought them great joy. The problems that we're going to read about in the Corinthian church, they're trying to figure that out. They're trying to figure out how do they live in this new world being set apart uniquely, but so often they feel like the same old people and they're definitely living in the same old world. They know something's changed, but it doesn't always feel that way. Can you relate? Why is it so good and so hard all at the same time? You have to realize this is a very young church. It's, it's about five years old. And really what this is all about is it's one thing to say that we, we say this all the time. We live in the world, but we're not of the world, right? We live in the world, but we're not of the world. It's one thing to say it. It's a whole different matter to live it out. And Paul, in this introduction that we're going to cover this morning, he is laying the groundwork that we can't forget as we go into the, the, the specific passages that are to follow. This is the groundwork. What Paul says here, we have to remember as we continue on. Let's read our passage. This is God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up. If not, it's printed for you in your bulletins. This is God's word. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Father in heaven, help us this morning as we, as we seek to hear from you in your word. Help us, uh, remind us, that you have sanctified us, that you have called us to be saints, that you will sustain us, and that when Jesus Christ returns, we would be guiltless. We, we thank you for these promises, and we thank you that you are a God who is faithful. Bless us now in Christ's name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> when I came to know Jesus Christ, and I, and I have to be honest with you, I don't exactly know when I was saved. It was, it was either as a, a, a little boy after my father died um, at a summer Christian camp, or it could have been 
as a young, struggling, new father and husband? I don't know exactly. But at each of those times when I came to understand, in a new way maybe, God's grace, when I came to understand those things, I really had no idea what I got myself into. Whenever anyone, a young child or a college student or an older adult comes to understand that they're a sinner in the sight of God, they turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sins and and then they try to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, we really don't have a clue about what the future is going to look like. In fact, I would say this, that even as we grow up, as we mature, a sign of that maturity, you begin to expect not to know what to expect. You just don't know what's coming in the future. And that's part of the reason why God calls people together into the church. And as we've already mentioned uh, previously here, church is not simply a place to go. It's not a place where we just show up on Sunday mornings and and just go our own way afterwards. Church isn't special events. It's not youth activities. The church is a place, but it's so much more than that. The church is the people of God. It's the body of Christ, where God in Christ joins us to him and to one another, where we have a new relationship with him, and because we have a new relationship with him, we have a new relationship with the people that are sitting around you right now. The church is the primary community that shapes our identity. We need each other. And as much as we want you to come to church here, and we do, We actually want you to be a part of a body where Christ is at work because that's where we learn the things that we need to learn. That's where we remember that we're not alone. That's where we help each other. And this morning, Paul is reminding them in this passage that God has called them together and this community of believers, they're called to flourish together and not only to flourish, not only to be happy but so that they will know how to live out in the world when they're not around the same people. So this morning, we're we're going to talk about the, the source of this community, the source of what God has done calling this church together. And we're going to see, secondly, the tension of what God has done because there's tension in it. And then lastly, we're going to look at the call, what it is we're supposed to do. First of all, the source. Paul begins with identifying who he is and who the church is that he's writing to. Paul begins and he says, me and you, it's all because of God. Everything, the source is God. He says, from from Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He also says it's from Sosthenes. If you go back and you read Acts chapter 18, where Paul uh, plants the church in Corinth, you'll see that Sosthenes was the leader of the synagogue at that time. Paul shares the gospel. Evidently, Sosthenes got saved, but don't think Sosthenes has a whole bunch to do with this letter because after this, it's all from Paul. It's all first person singular. And Paul is reminding the church he has a unique special summons by Christ himself. Paul was chosen by Christ. 
as an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord, Acts chapter 9. And Paul has this foundational role. He's establishing his, his authority as an apostle, and he's reminding them that they, the church, needs to listen to him. He's part of the church, but he's unique in the church. There are no more apostles like Paul. And he writes to the people of God in Corinth. In other words, they too belong to God. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. And what Paul is saying here is God, and he's saying it to us, right? It's miraculous that we are here today. God has decisively set them apart from the world and for God. It's a new reality. It recalls the people of Israel back in the days of Exodus. And they are saints. They have an identity. They have beliefs. They have practices that God calls them to take up. Not only them, and this is really important for these believers in Corinth, but every single body that meets and calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Paul wants the church in Corinth to understand that what's going on is bigger than them. They are, we are, a part of a universal movement with all sorts of different people, and God is at work, not just in Corinth, not just in Athens, but across the world. See, what's happened to them has happened to other people that they don't even know. And this is really important for them to remember. Because this church in Corinth, in a town about the size of Athens, they don't have as many people as we have here right now. There's probably 50 people. And they're having to live in the world in a new way because something has happened to them. And they need to remember it's not just about them. It's so much easier for us. We know that there are other churches. There are other churches in our denomination meeting right now. We're not alone. Other churches in the city of Athens, other churches, we know these things. They, they didn't. They are alone. There was no such thing as nominal Christianity back then. You either were a Christian, and it made you look really different from the rest of the world, or you were a pagan, and you did your own thing. Verse 3, he summarizes the two chief benefits of God's work, grace and peace. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to mention this. Not only the grace that they received when they came to know Jesus Christ, but Paul is reminding them that this grace is enriching them moment by moment, even though they don't feel like it. God's grace is always at work day to day. They're living in a realm of grace. Peace, not only the experience of peace, but an inheritance of peace. They are going somewhere that will be peace. And Paul can't help but rejoice in verse 4. He says, I give thanks to God always for you because of this grace that God has provided. It's all because of God in Christ Jesus. In every way, they have been rich in all speech and knowledge. They've been, every, they've been given every gift that they need to give. You know, we'll read later in Corinthians, you know what they're, they're doing? They're boasting in their speech and knowledge. They're boasting in it. Paul is helping them understand these aren't their own gifts. These are gifts from God. God is the giver of every good thing. 
And Paul is saying when we take these things that God has given us, which is anything and everything that we have, we make them about ourselves, you know what we do? We distort the gospel. We end up with all sorts of problems like the Corinthian church has. It leads to all the problems that we will cover in the future sermons. The primary point not to be missed, God has done this for them. God, it's all God. They are special. They're not special in and of themselves. They're special simply because God has called them out, set them apart, given them everything that they need. Not individually. They can't do it by themselves. But as a community, they can do everything that God calls them to do. And what is it that has brought them together? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is central to everything. It's not going to be the preachers that he's going to talk about next. It's not going to be how rich or how poor they are, how smart or how eloquent they are. The world doesn't define who they are, doesn't make them into who they are. Even their sin doesn't define them. It is God's grace in Christ. That's what a Christian is. So when we come together and we go to church, we're actually acknowledging the fact that God has called us and we are going to go join and meet with other people and our God and we're not worthy in and of ourselves but for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is what makes us who we are together. There's a, another point of application that, that I do, I think is very important in this, in this first point. Paul is very thankful for this church. And, and it's, it's pretty amazing because he, he, he's about to get into all the trouble that they are causing. Some nasty stuff. And he says, I am really grateful. He doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't give up on them. And these people are, uh, he's about to bring up some bad stuff. And he's thankful. He's not thankful for the sin. He's not thankful for the problems. He's thankful because of the grace that was given to them in Christ. He has hope because of the grace of God. And this is important for us. Whatever faults people may have in the church, and we have a ton of them. I have a ton of faults. You have almost as many. Let's say it like that. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be held accountable. I'm not talking about accountability. I'm not talking about confrontation in the right way. There is no doubt for Paul, though, that this is God's people. These are not his people. This is God's church, and they are worth fighting for. So for us as leaders in the church and individuals in the church, we need to realize that Christians do dumb things. We do dumb things all the time, but we don't give up. And I'm not talking about when we do dumb things and it hurts people, okay? We, we need to deal with that appropriately. But what I'm talking about is this. What, what Paul is doing in this first section of Corinthians as he's about to deal with all this, this sin, all this sin, the division, the disunity, uh, suing one another, uh, going to the Lord's Supper and some people getting fed and, and, nobody, and some people going home hungry, all these things that Paul's about to deal with, he is taking his eyes off of the people and the problems, not so that he doesn't see them anymore, but he looks at them through God's work in Jesus Christ and he trusts God with them and then he simply does what he's called to do. And that's the way we have to interact with one another. For us, we can, we can look at others. Because I, I know this. I, I'm one of the pastors here. I know all of you don't like all of everybody else. 
You, you just don't. There's some people that get on your nerves. Let's, let's be truthful here, right? And then every once in a while, I, I mean, I, I did something goofy this morning before Sunday school. I looked at a person that I knew and I said, who are you? Right? I didn't know, but I did. Right? We do dumb things all the time. We can look at other people, we can look at the world, we can focus on them, or we can see everything through what God has done and promises to do. It not only will make us thankful, thankful, but it changes how we relate and view and work with others in the world. That's what Paul's doing. He's looking at all the troubles and all the things that he's going to have to do, and he looks at them through the eyes of Jesus Christ, the way God does, and says, I am thankful, and we're going to get to work, and we're going to do what God calls us to do, and we're not going to give up. That's the gospel. Leads us to the second point. There is tension, right? Verses 6 through 8. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you lacked no spiritual gift, even as you wait for the revealing of Christ, who will sustain them to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul's talking about here, the people came to know Jesus Christ. It was confirmed with power in Corinth, because the gospel comes with power. Paul knew it happened. The people knew it happened. But they're still waiting. Here's the tension. Their present existence, it's still a time of waiting. It's not finished yet, which explains the trouble, right? It would be real easy if the Lord just saved us all at the same time and we were just transported off into the new heavens and new earth. But he doesn't do that. He leaves us here. They knew that God had set them apart. They knew that they were sanctified. They knew that they were forgiven. But after some time, they didn't necessarily feel like it. Right? They had to go to work. Right? They, they still got sick. Right? People still irritated them. There were still those divisions between rich and poor. They didn't get a rule book for every little thing that came up. They don't even have the New Testament that we have now. They have this letter, and they're just hearing about it the first time. We, we have the Bible. We, we, got, we got it better. But... Please don't think that the Bible is a rule book to help you live your life in the perfect way because it doesn't cover half of what you need to know. There's no specific verse for what you have to say to Bobby to make sure that that he's okay. The Bible, God's word, reveals to us what he's done and then he leaves us there in this tension to figure it out together. All these believers... They never heard of a personal God who loved them. They didn't have a temple like everybody else. They didn't have any images. They didn't have any sacrifices. And then there was this world that they lived in, and now everybody thinks they're weird. Everybody thinks they're strange. And some thought because they'd been saved, it didn't matter how they lived. Other people thought because they'd been saved, they were finished, it's completed, and things shouldn't be hard. And Paul says, nope, you're waiting In all this tension, Paul says, God will sustain you and you will be guiltless on the last day. Of all the the passages or all the time that I I spent studying for this passage, this was my favorite part. That no matter what you're going through, God will sustain you. And no matter what you are going through, no matter what you have done, no matter what you will do, believers in Jesus Christ on the last day, they will be guiltless. 
The Corinthians have decisively entered into the realm of salvation, but it's not finished yet. You know what Paul's doing? This is the message for us as well. He wants to make sure they don't have any false optimism or sentimentality about what's happened, right? You remember when you first came to know Jesus, you thought everything was great, you were on top of the mountain, and man, nobody was going to stop you. And then about week six, it's like, oh, wow, I don't know what to do. He wants to make sure they don't have any false optimism, sentimentality about what's happened because it's not going to be easy. But he also wants to correct any complacency. In other words, you can't give up. You have to keep trying. There is tension in the Christian life because we have been sanctified, because we have been set apart, because we have been called to be saints. And it's not as easy as we'd like it to be. You've probably heard this before. I've never heard it before. I was talking to Matt about this and Wes about this. They'd heard this analogy before. I've never heard it. You heard of the lifeboat analogy? The Christian life, we've been saved from a sinking ship in the past, right? The Titanic going down. We've been saved. We're on a lifeboat in the present, and it happens to be choppy, sometimes scary water. And the final safe landing on solid shore is still to come. That's the future. So we're on this lifeboat. We know we've been saved, but those waters around us, they're a little bit choppier than we'd like them to be. Which leads to our last point, the call. Paul says, God is faithful. He's called you into fellowship, into community, because you need each other. Fellowship with Christ beings, fellowship with other people, and we're all in the same boat. We participate in life together because we need each other. And by the way, this fellowship that we have, it's not a society or group who simply like the same things. That's not the fellowship that Jesus calls us into. I was having lunch with a few guys, and I thought of, I thought of this at lunch, and I shared it with them. It's like this. Football season's coming, right? Everybody's all excited. You can tailgate all fall and have a really good time, and you don't need Jesus at all to have a good time tailgating. You do need Jesus to fellowship like Paul is talking about here. In fact, we can't do it without Christ Paul will again and again return to the truth of what God has done for us in Jesus. And as we continue to understand more and more what God has done, more and more of who we are because of what God has done, we will know and rest more and more in Jesus Christ. We will know that he's with us. It creates a unity, a bond, and a connection that nobody else can have that can overcome any problems that we have. And Paul says, it it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. This is is why what we do here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church is important. We are in this boat together. And there's a bunch of our friends and our family that are outside in the ocean and they are drowning. We have to go get them. And we can't go get them by ourselves. We need each other. We need to pull them in. And as we deal with all the sin and the misunderstanding that we have even in our own church, 
We have to see ourselves as God sees us. We have to see our lives in light of what God is doing because these verses, they lift our eyes beyond the individual so that we can see all of us is part of God's work in the world. It's not a building. It's not simply a place to go. We are a people called by God into community with one another where we learn that God is faithful. This is the one place where you will hear over and over again that God is faithful and his faithfulness includes his, his forgiveness his sanctifying work in the spirit and his promise to sustain his people until Jesus Christ comes back. We have, not only by ourselves, but other believers across the world, we've been called together by God. We are a divine initiative. We are created by God, not only created new, but we're created as a new community. We've been set apart. We're called to live as saints. Certainly there is tension. There's tension in our own hearts. There's tensions with other people. There's tension with the world. But God is faithful. So if you're a believer here this morning, if you're a, a new member or a longtime member, this is a picture in 1 Corinthians 1 through 9 of who we are. And we can never forget it. Because immediately in, in verse 10, he's going to say, I need you guys to quit being divided. Because of all these things he's just said, if you're a believer this morning, this is who we want to be. If you're visiting, maybe you don't even consider yourself a Christian. We want you to jump on the lifeboat and see what life on the lifeboat is all about. Listen, this is, this is, what, this is the invitation to all the new folks here. We do want you to come to church here. This is, this is actually for everybody, and I'm going to end. I know it's time. This is for everybody. If you think being a part of Redeemer is just going to church on Sunday morning, that's great, and we're, that's wonderful, but you're missing out on so much more, and, and some of it's bad, right? Somebody's going to come to you, and you're going to ask them for advice, and they're going to say something dumb. It just, it just happens. And then we learn how to forgive. We learn how to work together. We learn how to experience what life is like so that we can become more like Jesus. We want you to come to church here. We want you college students to come to the college luncheon, but that's just a ploy. We're just going to get you so that you can meet some people so that the Lord will work and say, hey, I want to be a part of this community. I want to be a part of this body. I want to learn from people that, that are totally different from me, in totally different situations, where every human being that comes to this church, young or old, is, can experience the realm of grace. That's the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you, would you just, even now, Work in our hearts as individuals, and then work in our community of believers here at Redeemer, and help us to see the miraculous work that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Would it, would it not become just mundane? Would we be excited about who you are, excited about one another because of what you are doing in their lives? And would we be a light? 
in a dark world. We ask these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit, amen.